And this is not meant to be a political statement. The biggest challenge with any analytics is if you see a trend, but you yourself have not experienced it, or it is counter to your beliefs or to your political or economic agenda, how does it change your action on it? Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Masters of Data podcast. Uh, another episode that we're recording this from our home during the pandemic. But I, I think this uh, is fun to keep having these conversations and keep connecting with all of you. And today, I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion that is is different than some of the ones we've done before. And I think you guys are going to all uh, really enjoy it. So I'm, I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. It's uh, Paul Rubenstein. He's the Chief People Officer at Vizier. And uh, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thanks, Ben. Good morning. And uh, I think uh, we, based on some of the conversations we had before, I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion and come at some different things we actually haven't been able to talk about on the podcast before. But before we even get to that, um, like we always do, we, we love to humanize our guests just to talk a little bit about who you are and, and, and what your background is, and particularly considering what we're going to talk about, how you kind of came into that. So, Paul, like, what's your, what's your story? Oh, um, yeah. First time chief people officer, and I got here the, uh, in the most circuitous route. Um, I, you know, I, I had like an HR job when I was really young, and then I was like, mm, the office is in the basement. Uh, I don't know if I like this. Uh, the money's not so great. And, you know, at that time, the first uh, human capital uh, management systems were coming out. Um, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I found myself suddenly running one of those old school HR transformation projects, the ones that so many consulting firms and so many um, uh, software firms are built on, you know, the old, hey, how do we make HR more efficient? How do we put in systems instead of paper? And so I did, and I woke up one morning and found that I was good at helping consulting firms conceive the project and sell the project, which like, hey, that's fun. Pays the bills. It's nice. Um, so I did about half of my work were those HR transformation projects, you know, where you insource, outsource. I spent some time in outsourcing. And about half of my work was real, you know, straight up talent strategy. So if you haven't, you know, if, if the left hand is figuring out what the HR function should be, how to optimize the HR function, the right hand is, well, what are you optimizing it for? What is the, the business? What kind of talent portfolio do you need? How should orgs be structured? How should you govern? Um, what should talent, and you need to do deep dives into talent acquisition, learning, um, all the, I've basically taken the whole tour of the HR function on the consulting side. And um, then I did some other cool stuff when I was at one of the big consulting firms that involved looking at our portfolio of businesses. And I'll never forget one day, CEO, uh, we had lots of data at that firm you know, because it was both consulting and outsourcing. And he was like, hey, you know, about this big data, it's going to be big. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what are we going to do about it? He's like, I don't know. And I went on this sort of tour. And I don't know if you remember uh, uh, about eight, nine years ago, people were really starting to wake up to getting beyond data warehouses and visualization tools. And the first visualization 
becoming popular and people were doing cool stuff. So I went on that tour of, of everyone's magic beans and I met the video guys and I was like, oh my God, they were so far ahead of everyone else in, just in terms of think their thinking in how to make the tools available for everybody. And instead of the old school, hey, let's build a data warehouse, put as much data together and figure out what we can see, they flipped the model. And, and by the way, these are the guys who you know, created some of the monstrosity of those big data warehouse projects. These are the old crystal reports, business objects guys. And they were like, hmm, how much value have we created for consulting firms? And, you know, how often do those projects fail? What if we turned it on head and started with the questions? And the more data, because you know, 80% of the questions people ask um, are pretty much the same, especially if you, you know, so how do you prove out this sort of question-based uh you know, packaged analytics where it doesn't require an expert yeah. and you build up the question model over time and you build the tools in a way that anybody can see them. And, and it's all in the cloud, not just the data warehouse, not just the tools, right. the data warehouse, and, and it's all there and you work across systems. So you're not worried about being in anyone's, anyone's particular tech stack, you know, can't be all SAP all day or, or Oracle all day, you know, be right. agnostic. And what they had, their vision of it was really cool because it was like, you know, after doing all this HR transformation work, I saw this data and, and saw their approach to the tools as the first time HR transformation was not about cost shift, right? Mm. It wasn't, this wasn't an mm. investment that HR would make about making them more efficient. This was about HR investing in something that truly served the business. That's interesting. Yeah, it's and so I fell in love with these guys, and I went back to that consulting firm, and I was like, you know, we, this is the future. We should do this, and they were like, no, uh, Dave, we have a, <laughs> we, have a <laughs> we you model know, for making money. <laughs> look, 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 no, but they were like, even internally, they were like, look what we're building with data warehouses, and we have all these people, and you know, all the inertia around it. Right, you know, we have no cost. Um, you know, a couple of years later, I was like. No way, man. This is the future. Yeah. Uh, and they made me the head of value engineering. Um, so I went in and really did two things. I looked at how, you know, what was that moment at which the people saw data and acted differently? How do right. you take analytics in around human capital? How do you begin to solve business problems with them? How do you distribute the analytics uh, so it becomes part of an operating model so right. that, you know, at the, if you have a long arc strategy around your human capital, how do you put data in front of people so that a small decision is actually based on a trend or a strategic direction, or you stop guessing at things, you stop using intuition around people and you start using data. And right. By the way, this is a game changer, right? This is right. for our customers. It's changed the way they um, they avoid layoffs in many ways because they're able to have confidence in natural attrition. They're able to give voice to the quiet employee who uh, is actually more productive than other employees. And and it's just been it's been a, a great ride. And you know what's really changed things for us, unfortunately, um, has been this crisis because the yeah notion of people data 
it's gone from something that was a nice to have that, you know, with a, a, you know, oh, we'll get to that later to the must have, because the decisions people are making are, you know, the companies are making decisions with data around people. That is the difference between whether a worker will get sick or not, or whether they'll be able to deliver services or not, or whether they'll be agile enough to move to a new business model or not. Right. So, boy, that was a long intro, huh? No, that was that was great. I mean, I think it, I think it's fascinating because I mean, myself, I've been in the you know big data space for a while, and I, I really like the way that there was a couple of things that struck me that how you were talking about it, and uh, you know, number one, it, it's it's I love the way you talk about the asking the questions first, and then and then going to data because I, I think there was a you know, and this isn't just a big data movement, but I think for a long time, it was basically, you know, gather all the things, you know, gather all the data and we'll figure out the rest later. And and what would happen is you'd be overwhelmed with data you didn't know what to do with. And, um, and, and as a form, you know, when I was a product manager and some things I've done in the past where I, I learned the hard way that you really need to start off. Okay. Like, what am I actually, what are the questions that I'm trying to ask? What are the actual business questions? What are the human questions? Like, what are we trying to understand? What and then, problem are we trying yeah, to solve? Exactly, exactly. Instead of trying to make the 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 data fit the problem, or you know, go the other way, I and I think that's really interesting. And and also, I you know, in particular, one of the things we we've we've delved in this a couple places on the podcast. But there's a you know a lot of the data work, um, you know, a lot of the talk about that is a lot of times in like IT and security and some of these areas where they just naturally create that data. But I think some of the most interesting applications are the ones like, like this, where they're, they're not where everybody's mind first goes. Uh, but they're some of the places where you can actually have the biggest impact of the business just because there's a lot of untapped potential there. Well, I mean, like Ben, what's left, right? What's left in, um, you know, corporate performance anymore, corporate finance, you know, there's not a lot of innovation in that. I mean, it is, it is a, it is a great science people. We've conquered that. They conquered that in the, you know, the sixties and seventies, uh, supply chain. I mean, you know, the mastery, we reached a mastery point in, um, supply chain where just, just give it to XPO or to Amazon. Right. Um, you know, even audit, you know, automation, I mean, that's, that's come a long way. The last individual indivisible element of performance is human for a company. So our ability to use the data in meaningful ways to make fact-based decisions, I mean, this is the golden age of it. There's a, there's a lot of things that have helped it along, right? But, you know, we're sitting here uh, at, at, at Busy and we're like, look, why do we even exist? Um, we're here to help people see the truth and create a better future now. And, you know, this notion of truth, when you are able to take especially people data or any data, decisions are fairer. Um, the un, it, it's a great equalizer. Um, it gives voice uh, to the quiet. Um, if, if you want to, you know, people have been, you know, talking about how to advance diversity. Numbers don't lie. Right. They are they're true without bias, you know, so honest and fair. And then the second part is to create a better future now. One of the things that, you know, has always frustrated me and has been really interesting during to watch during the crisis is these long tail, you know, how long is it going to take to implement this system? Oh, you know, first we got to get the steering committee, then we're going to have to have, you know, 
the security review, and then we're blah, 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 blah. I'm getting these stories of, of, our, of our customers who spun up data collection systems in two, three weeks. We did a release in two weeks of all new features. Like, there's nothing like a crisis to help you shed some of the bureaucracy that's in the way of speed and agility. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I was actually just reading something about the other day. If you, you focus, you can, uh, you always, always, uh, chambers is out of, um, out of Cisco. Like he was talking about that. Um, but you know, one, one thing that's really interesting, you know, here too, Paul, when you're talking about this is I think conceptually, you know, this, this, this makes a lot of sense. Cause like you're like saying, particularly in this time, um, people are the, the area that maybe measurement has not been done as good about. But let, talk to me about the actual data. Cause you use this, number one, you use this word human capital, um, a lot. So what, what does that mean? And when you actually talk about human capital data, like the data in that space, what, what is that data? What does it look like? I love when I use, um, like, I think I've been in consulting too long. I, I can't get past jargon. You know, there's a, there's, I, I think part of this, you know, for your audience, let's just take a little look at the history there, right? Remember the old, um, you know, there were payroll systems. Uh, and then do you remember um, the old client? Then there were like early days, uh, mainframe HR systems like uh, Tesseract, Genesis, pay, but they were all like sort of um, uh, payroll centric. Yeah. I had, then, to, I had to work on one of those early in my career. <laughs> yeah. My green screen. Um, I, I, yeah. So it, Funny, you know how I got into this, and I'll never forget that uh, you forget this. You know, um, I was my first business case for an HR system was because I we had a COBOL CICS homegrown HR system when I was working at Homebox Office, and uh, the guy used to it would take like a couple hours to give me a feed of data that we went through hoops to get into a Lotus one two three spreadsheet i'm showing my age <laughs> and then i would look at the data and the data would no. be wrong and and they were like yeah. that's because you know we there were no these were before the modern transaction systems that's actually how i wrote my first business case which wound up getting me into consulting later on it's it's funny um and, and the funny the best thing yeah. is doing early diversity data uh so oh, you know yeah. things came full circle but anyway um then you had like PeopleSoft and SAP coming out with all their human capital systems. And that was all, you know, the old client server days. Uh, right. And then um, it was like, okay, you know, how do we, and all of those business cases were built on transactions. Because remember, HR departments would have, uh, you know, forms, remember, paper forms yeah. and files. So this, <laughs> you know, the first wave of digitization uh, you know, that made it affordable for most companies was client server technology, or they yeah. outsourced it to ADP, et cetera, you know, those mm -hmm. places. Um, and then it was like, oh, no, you can't do that. You have to move it to the cloud. So there was this second uh, wave of, actually, between there, there was this wave of outsourcing. Uh, and then, okay, well, let's make it more efficient. Let's do more self-service in the cloud and, you know, put things on mobile. But it was always about transactions. It was always who was hired, who was fired. Who was promoted? What was their salary? Alongside of that, you had a whole set of technologies when, um, when you had to, uh, okay, here's a, here's a jargony term, OFCCP, the Office of, I can't remember what it stands for anymore, but it was all of the <laughs> records you had to keep 
to make sure that you were compliant in your hiring practices. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So that gave rise to the ATS, right? Remember Taleo, Brass Ring, all those, you know, and now you have a new set of uh, cloud-based modern ones. Um, Then there were the benefits administration systems, especially prevalent in the U.S., so that, you know, once a year you could forget your login and remember how to, uh, you know, pick the plan that was uh, confusing in the first place. (laughs) Uh, and, wait, and there was learning administration, right? You know, where did you take the course and how did you have a record of the course? Okay. So all of this slow and, oh, and let us not forget what I actually think is one of the most valuable ones in, um, uh, you know, in large scale operations, time and attendance, who showed up, right? And what did they do with it? Right. You know, who, who showed up and, um, what kind of work did they do, which actually had some early innovation. So, and then one, and so those were transaction systems that weren't connected. Um, they were run, and the organizations that supported them, you know, followed those same silos. You know, the the tech mirrored the the or the org structures and the siloing of HR and reinforced it. You had, you know, and the whole thing was okay. Well, now we can get rid of HR generalists who do transactional work and make them more strategic. And HR will have this maybe for this seat at the table because their capacity has been created for them to be more strategic, not necessarily the capability, but capacity. Mm -hmm. And so now we're on our third cycle of that. Along the way, things got better. Uh, I would say neuroscience got better. Our ability to, you know, social sciences got better. Assessment science got better. Engagement science moved from this once a year uh, giant effort uh to which what you know which took you know months to be actionable to continuous listening right we started to see uh innovation in network analysis who actually talked to who give me an org chart of how information really flows through an organization so being so you know we've we've come a long way those are all so you see this sort of progression of the data in hr over a period of time now mashups happen, right? You know, start to answer questions. Um, the guy, he's the uh, he's the head of HR at uh, Patagonia. This guy, Dean Carter. Uh, what, a, what a cool job, right? He was at Sears, and I think it was under his um, uh, leadership that one of the first things they did at the time clock was ask somebody, "How do you feel today?" Brownie, Jim, or Smiley, and they were able to you know see how store sales were able to connect to that. So now, so now, right, and then you had the ride of Salesforce effectiveness, and there were a lot of consulting-based single point in time projects to understand productivity. But then how does it become persistent and actionable? Right? That's the evolution. That's that's where companies are now. How do we, with the same regularity that we publish the PL, do we publish information on people? so that you can make better decisions so that you can make based decisions so um if you if you've ever run a pnl uh you know that you know the the data comes in you're like oh crap i'm over budget i better you know cut some hours or cut some heads where's the cycle of information that helps you um understand your labor patterns before the end of the month so that you're not always playing up things like that you know, some of the things you bring up are the things that we, we kind of know about, maybe have some, <laughs> not the best, uh, 
experiences with because I, you know, I definitely remember uh, interacting with mainframe early on. But I think that it's really interesting when you frame it like that is in, in that timeline. It is very interesting to see how it lines up with a lot of changes that have happened other places in the business, um, you know, and how how the data is transforming what we do. Uh, Look at marketing. OK, marketing, marketing is, is probably, you know, one of the best, right, um, at data uh, in most organizations and, 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 you know, their transformation. Right. I have always aspired to follow marketing's transformation data with HR's transformation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and in, 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 in particular, like, well, I say even with marketing, it's not just that the, um, it's not just collecting the data, but it was like how you act on it. Because I, I think there was a tendency in marketing and other places to collect a lot of data and then you just set on it. But, you know, now moving into these more kind of agile models where you say, OK, what if we try something and see what happens and be able to measure that and then make data you know, back decisions like that, that the, the, the actual decision-making people process took longer than actually getting the data. Right. Um, so, okay. HR data. I remember doing my first sort of time and I'll call them time and motion studies in, um, consulting Mm -hmm. by the time somebody asked the business, asked the question, you would have a, they would ask an HR business partner who would go back to some specialist and an analyst who would dump something into Excel, who would correct the data, who would then show it to the HR business partner, who would have it just in time before a meeting. And the person they were presenting it to had better analytical skills with data than the, you know, they would be like, oh, let me put this into a pivot table, you know, but the HR business yeah. partner may not have that skill. And the and then the second challenge was, oh, I see one error in the data. How can I trust any of the data? And the HR business partner oh, would go yeah. back. And, and you know, this this is the cycle that HR has broken out of as the data mm-hmm. has become more prevalent to everybody and everybody owns the data. Yeah. Right. And the second thing is people are starting to use trend data, but here's the rub. And this is not meant to be a political statement. The biggest challenge with any analytics is if you see a trend but you yourself have not experienced it or it is counter to your beliefs or to your political or economic agenda, how does it impact your, how does it change your action on it? No government acted fast enough when they saw the COVID data. Oh, this can't be true. Oh, this is too disruptive. Oh, you know, it's not that bad. We all could have acted faster. And you know, I'm hoping that the lesson here is when, especially around people data, if we see a trend in engagement. So I'll, I'll, I'll walk this across to the classic, hey, sales leader, I see a pocket of engagement um, uh, challenges. Oh, don't worry about those people. Oh, take a look. You know, oh, don't worry about those people. They're closing deals. Okay, but if you look closer, they're not actually doing anything in their early pipeline. Um, and so how, you know, which came first, the disengagement or the early pipeline fall? Uh, and so how you can start to see the patterns and take action early, um, and get people to rely on not, I mean, I'm not saying you should be completely data driven, right? but it should show you where to hunt and challenge your intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I've had a couple of discussions discussion about that on the podcast and i think it is it is always that balance because you still need the uh, the experienced leaders that can 
process the data. I've even heard you said like one of the things yeah. that an experienced leader can do is that they can look at data and because of their life experience and their work experience, they can actually incorporate that data and process it and make decisions on it much quicker. But the thing is they still have to use their human experience and their intuition to, to, to measure it. But like to your point, these kind of things where you have to be proactive and you have to get ahead of it, that is very hard to do without data indicators driving you because otherwise you're not going to, you're not going to see it. There's a lot of things you're not going to know are going on unless you have data telling you, right? So it, Look, we can't make everyone great, but what I think we can do is raise the floor, right? By raising the floor of competence across the entire enterprise in, you know, just exposing them to patterns, right? So how long does it take for an organization to change their uh, their behaviors around data? Um, I think if done right, it can be as little as a quarter, right? Because if you think about it, you know, the quarter end, we're conditioned to. Yeah. And, you know, you're either a hero or a goat at the end of it. And how many quarters <laughs> can you, how many quarters can you go before your job is in jeopardy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't put so, up a goat every quarter. <laughs> so if I, if I show you a trend, you know, on the first of the month, the first month, the second month and the third month, and you do nothing, how many quarters can you go before you actually, the pain of, uh, you know, of, of understanding how this data this data, consuming this data is no longer a vitamin. It's a pain pill, right? It's not a yeah. nice to have, must have. Organizations, um, you know, we've seen our clients get good at that rhythm and it, it makes a difference. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you mentioned something that I want to, I want to, um, you know, kind of delve a little deeper into is, is, is like you said that, um, you know, these, you know, how these changes happen. A lot of times there's external factors that, that drive it and you particularly bring up COVID. I mean, what, you know, one of the things I've definitely seen in my own organization and, you know, and I've seen it, you know, I'm, I'm been around long enough that I, you know, I was around in 2001 and, you know, 2007, 2008, and, um, where I've seen these other crises of different types, you know, drive changes in behavior. What are you seeing in, um, from your perspective that's changing right now because of what's going on with COVID, um, particularly with what we've just been talking about? Yeah. So, um, why don't we, can we stay geeky and talk about some of the data implications? Absolutely, please go geek. That's really be, been interesting to me. So um, in the middle of this, the people analytics community is a pretty strong one. And so we've, you know, I've been doing these interviews with people and we did one on recruiting. Uh, we did one on engagement. Uh, we've done some general ones, but man, I did a, we had three of the largest, the, the heads of people analytics of three of the largest healthcare organizations on um, yesterday. Yeah. And the previews and the interviews just killed me, right? So it's really interesting because we had to spin up for them and they had to make very short order decisions um, on good people data. So yeah. Something simple. They, some things seem simple, like how many people do we have? How many masks do we need? Right. Hmm. So all of a sudden your headcount reconciliation process has gone from some, you know, finance versus HR budget drama to we have a constrained supply of a critical element and this could make, these are life and death decisions. Then you dig into your data and you say, well, who is a frontline worker who is not, who is a critical caregiver who is not, where does that data actually sit? Um, 
How often do we, uh, you know, what is skills data? Uh, skills data gathering has always been this monstrous project, project where, oh, well, who can we trust? Can we trust people to self-report? Can we, do we have to have the certification and we have to have this annual process? And there's like teams of people that create controls around this. Um, and so a lot of organizations don't do it because they don't want to be wrong. All of a sudden, or they can't get to the right level of granularity and specificity about yeah. a person saying, yeah, I used to intubate somebody, right? You know, how do you right. get that data? They went and they asked people to self-report it as a starting point because you need that stuff in a crisis. Yeah. Uh, they were able to protect, they, they, they delayed a learning project to collect skills. They never implemented that module because they were like, oh, that's going to take, you know, you know, seven months and it's not a priority. All of a sudden, that data becomes a priority. People went and looked at, have you ever done, you know, job codes and job descriptions? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I need, to know who, I need to know who touches terminals or not because, mm. you know, for, for payment. So, uh, oh, you know, I, I, do that. I need to just think about all the elements of work that have to change. And if you're trying to study those patterns and make decisions, really, you know, one of one of the one of my guests said it the best. We woke up and we realized that all of our systems had been built for administrative convenience, not analytical capability. Oh wow, that's not a, the that's tech. Deep. It's not that they asked the tech. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, we spent all this money on record. When you think about um, HR functions budget, they spent so much more money on record keeping, just to improve the record keeping, and they never actually changed the data. Right. Yeah. Job code data and, you know, um, skills architecture and, oh, God, old school competency models. You know, they'll pay a million dollars to have a competency model project that never actually reflects the work that, you know, <laughs> that, that operational, you know, analytical needs of it. Right. They'll spend 10 times as much on record keeping as they will on insights and analytics. Yeah. It's this big sucking sound. And, you know, so a lot of organizations are going to have to rethink that. And that's been one of the things, because the second thing is frequency of data. Um, cost data on payroll is slow, right? People yeah. put in time codes. One of the guys was telling me, uh, you know, well, we had a very simple time code system because, you know, we only had a couple of codes because we didn't want to confuse people. Um, but it wasn't enough to understand the data as they were looking at the patterns of why people were in, out, what they were working on. They had to spin up text analytics because there were well, all the interesting stuff was in open comments. Oh, wow. You know, when people yeah. entered their time to understand, you know, what people were really doing. They never built their t- systems for, you know, being able to handle this. So look, a, never let a good crisis go unwasted. <laughs> Um, everybody, and and actually here's the other one, people analytics teams interacting with all the other analytics teams. So (laughs) like my favorite mashup at work is, uh, you know, our human capital data, um, with our Salesforce data. Yeah. Free. So, and our hospital clients, they, they love it with patient outcome data. Um, you name it. We saw all kinds of, you know, people data mashups that are, you know, really the COVID-19 crisis has just accelerated the frequency with which people are consuming that we have clients that were monthly that went weekly, weekly that went daily to their feeds. Yeah. 
No. But the thing that's the thing that's the hardest, like, you know, if you want to understand yeah. who's at risk, who's, who, where can where can we reopen first, et cetera, um, you, you have to have the right amount of data, you have to have right granularity, right frequency, um, and you have to, you know, be able to trust your um, models and, you know, get people familiar with models, first of all. How do you going to return to your office? Who's essential? Who's agile? Here's another thing. Like what we keep about people, performance ratings. Do performance, uh, one of the themes I'm hearing in business around talent right now is we're going to have to go back and when we rehire and take people off furlough, we're not going to have the same economics that we had before. We're going to have to right size our, our um, organization. Right. And our operations are going to change. The way we did the old work may have to change. Restaurants. Right hotels, you name it. Right. Um, is it who's tenured or who's agile? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Who, who has both agility and skills and mindset? Where is that data? Yeah. One of the things I find most interesting with, um, you know, the area that we're talking about when you talk about healthcare and all these other areas, because, you know, typically, you know, my background with data has been like, you know, is this system broken? You know, is this you know, is this particular application down? And I think when you when you're really talking about the outcomes for people, I, I you know a, a lot of times I think the the perception in the past is has been that okay, big brother business is keeping tabs on me. But I you know I think there's a one one of the things I really like, you know like that you said that the thing about you know um, optimizing for administrative ease, not for analytics, and really what that gets down to is that. There is a there is a trend right now across the businesses that they're realizing that if they can capture the right data and actually put it through the right analytics, like basically put it through that right thought process, they're actually, you know, winning. And this is not this is not new. It's not like the the companies that apply technology and things like this and the the best are the ones that have always won. I mean, Walmart won because yeah. they implemented mainframes. It, you know, it's yeah. it's it's always like that. And it's really interesting that now the innovation is happening with the data and it's and it's about it's about driving different parts of the business come together. And I just, I find that endlessly fascinating. I think it's, it's a really interesting area. Ben, people have been doing it with customer data. Yeah. Right. Think about what the, you know, what they do with customer data. Um, and you know, they're, they're, people are a little bit afraid of people data. Yeah. The norms around people data have changed. HR, uh, you know, mostly is driven, you know, uh, old school leadership is driven around avoiding risk, right? They're right. the risk police. HR now has to become the, you know, how do we take the right risks drivers, right? So right. if you think about this, work from home, you know, I've watched mindsets shift around working from home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what we can get done. No, and I, and I do think there's a huge value in the collaboration in the office. Don't get me wrong, right? But uh you know, we're going to be like this for a while. People are going to have different attitudes about being in, you know, group settings, whatever it is. How are we going to have a connected workforce? Should we, you know, if you've never done a network analysis before to understand who is actually, you know, and I'm not, you know, it's not, you know, maybe it is about productivity. Like the old joke, here's the old joke. And it's not even a joke. It's a true story. When I was um, 21 years old, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, Think about this problem. I, um, you know, I was a manage manager, right? So right. I could make long distance phone calls on the company phone. That was like a big deal. <laughs> so I remember that. Okay, so at five thirty, 
one evening, I, you know, it's a little quiet, uh, and I call my grandfather. Grandpa, what's going on? What are you doing? I'm at work. You're at work? It's after five. Yeah. Are you getting overtime? No. I wasn't even going to explain that one, right? You know, I wasn't taking that. He goes, oh, is the boss there? I'm like, no, he went home. How does the boss know you're doing a good job if he's not there to watch you? He's like, (laughs) okay. So (laughs) if you think about management by walking around, uh, which a lot of execs still do, you know, I want to walk out and see my dev team. I want to, you know, walk out and see what's going on in the customer service floor. I want to go, what, how are we going to understand um, what is our sensing mechanism going to be around this distributed workforce, right? So yeah. now we've got the challenge of both analytics and data collection. So being able to take um, sentiment analysis, pulse surveys. Uh, there's a company up here in Vancouver, uh, Traction on Demand. Um, they have a product called, I think it's called Better.me. After every piece of work a um, consultant or a technical worker does, they ask, well, how was that? How did it feel? Was it easy? Was it hard? Did you like mm. it? Did you not? Right? So, um, you know, talk about a high frequency of yeah. um, sentiment, right? So you can understand who's close to burnout or who is, you know, you know, precursor to failing. Like I said, network analysis, who isn't slacking or calling? anymore so network analysis have you ever seen one of these maps yeah yeah for yeah different, different areas, yeah. really cool you you strip the meeting data you strip the slack data you strip the email data and by the way if you you know if you're working where everyone's forced to work from home the um the quality of that data and the amount of that data is you know better than ever before right you see who's who are the go-to people in the organization who's stranded this is especially mm. useful in uh, onboarding new hires, which I worry about in this, you know, imagine getting hired and never going to the office. Yeah, right. What would be your socialization? Okay. And never being able to fly in for orientation. Right. I look at work that was done at McKesson a couple of years ago where they looked at network analysis on salespeople, like which are the better salespeople, the ones who spend all their time externally or the ones who connect internally better? You know, what does your intuition tell you versus not, you know? And so there's a lot of interesting, when we think about our sensing mechanisms um, for the new world of work and what we want to show up in our analytics, that's an important thing. Safety, right? Jeez, I don't even know where to begin. Like safety used to be the backwater of HR. You know, it's the people who did investigations and insurance claims, et cetera. And, you know, they would fill out, um, uh, compliance reports, safety's at the forefront, man. Like, yeah, this is, I mean, there, this is like, like you said, I mean, this is something that we could, uh, we could really delve into for, um, many hours. I think this is super interesting. So let, let me, let me, um, tie bow on this with one question to you. I mean, what do you, what is the thing that you're thinking about in your area? Kind of like you're thinking is coming that you don't think other people are thinking about. What's that, um, you know, what, what are some things that are, that are kind of rattling around in your head that you don't think other people are tracking? Um, man, I, 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 I don't pretend to have any, you know, magical insights. Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm blessed by working with some, a whole lot of people who are way smarter than me. Um, but you know, like, what do I, what am I tracking? I think there's a shift coming in, uh, the HR spend. These 
multi-year implementations of that are all still about process optimization. I think those are the times are, you know, people are coming for work, SAP, all those big, you know, ERP projects, um, because the, you know, it can't be their way or the highway and, it, you know, can't be all one software anymore. Right. I think, I think that's coming to an end. I think the nature of HR transformation as a cost and efficiency exercise is done. The future is show me insights and, you know, give me analytics. Um, I think that's going to change. I think uh, new methods of data collection, like we talked about, are going to be can continue to be popularized. Um, sentiment analysis, network analysis, uh, being able to get beyond our human observation and use um, assessment science, uh, which has come a long way. I think uh, that's it. And I think the silos are going to break down. People data is business data. And, um, you know, we talk about, remember the old, we're going to democratize data. We didn't democratize the tool set. It's got to be for everybody to consume so that everybody has access to be a great leader, great manager, great decision maker. I think COVID-19 is going to accelerate that. And the forced, compressed rethinking of work and work models, it's going to have to accelerate that. People are going to have to get good scenario planning, analytics, workforce planning is no longer going to be some, you know, secret science. It's going to be what everyone has to do. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good note to end on, Paul. I think, uh, I mean, I, I know I've personally learned a lot and I think this is a really fascinating discussion and, you know, uh, it, it probably makes sense to bring you back on, um, you know, a little bit later to see, you know, how, how things are, you know, changing in your opinion. But uh, thank you for coming on, Paul. This was, this was awesome. I appreciate your time. Ben, it's been fun. And, um, you know, what we've been telling people, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay sane. <laughs> I think I can do most of those. We'll see. Uh, but uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening. And, and as always, uh, rate and review us on iTunes um, so that other people can find us. And thanks for listening. Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. SumoLogic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. SumoLogic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.